0: Welcome to Everyday Animism, a weekly podcast exploring all things animism, particularly how animism impacts everyday life. The podcast is hosted by Kelly Harrell, Brandis Schnabel, and Janet Roper. Let's dive in. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to be chatting with you too. Hi, Janet. Hey, how are you guys doing? Hey, Janet. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Brandy. Hello. Mm-hmm. i've just had a butt load a metric buttload of coffee, so um <laughs> which, which i get is i guess is fitting since we decided to talk about food today Coffee's food, right works I mean, for me it's like a whole food group isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is for, Brandy. Me.
1: for it me. is yes,
0: yes, in my experience, coffee is vital um so we wanted to talk today about food and Um, I guess, you know, as much as we're able to get into in this time and, um, also framing it within, you know, it's just our three experiences with, um, you know, the animistic relationship that we have with food. So, um, I wasn't really sure how to start this one off. I thought maybe Kelly, you recently spoke about, um, and I'll kind of let you explain, but you recently spoke about, um, sometimes approaching or always approaching food consumption um, initially from like a death work perspective and I wondered if maybe we could start there and kind of see where it goes
2: um yeah I mean let let's back up just a little bit further and talk about how, how okay how do we food and historically how has it changed which has I think had a significant impact on why we don't have animism necessarily as a predominant spiritual experience in modern culture. So humans were originally nomadic. I mean, we kind of stuck to our own region, but we largely were nomadic within that region in that we knew it well. It knew us well. I would imagine there was some reciprocal spiritual caretaking between humans and land and it really wasn't until climate change that we had to start uh, domesticating our food, that we had to start farming and and growing our own crops and um, putting our animals in fences so that we would know they would stay there and we would be fed. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the point that we started to have a different relationship to food in terms of our spiritual heritage and I think a a lot of academics I guess you know people who have largely been the people these are the people who cite this is where it all changed when we started to take control of our food and it became an actual power dynamic it wasn't just how do we get fed it was no longer about animism. It was no longer how do we keep the resources in balance. It was just how do we get fed.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and kind of how do we how do we afford our resources too? It's I mean what you're well, describing yeah. is more of a like I don't want just what I need. I want to always uh-huh. have enough, like preemptively, and that really, I that really does change that relationship with whatever the food is. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean you and i think you have to envision
2: alongside that progression away from like being in balance with your ecosystem essentially Mm -hmm. your spiritual community slash ecosystem you are also losing skills uh, like tracking and hunting Mm -hmm. your ability to um your plant lore you know your ability to know the nature of where you were were intimately connected Mm -hmm. was going away At the same time that we pride ourselves on these husbandry skills and the ability to cultivate what we need Mm -hmm. when we need it. So I think we underestimate what was traded out in that transition and it's continued to be, I mean, industrialization has played a huge role in the way we treat our food. So circling back to your original question, Brandy, about, um, For me, death walking is an essential part of food preparation. I'm the primary cook in our family and I love it, but it's, it's a challenging job for me because it pushes a lot of spiritual buttons and it pushes a lot of really practical buttons also, but death walking for people who don't know is, it's a shamanic approach to making sure that souls at the point of death have moved on peacefully, not like you're shoving them to move right. on, but doing the checkpoints and the work around balancing that relationship so that it moves on in a way that is best for it. And f- and I know a lot of people talk about blessing your food and mm-hmm. expressing gratitude for your food. And I do those things For me, I mean, it's always like the dark stuff for me, but I always feel more attracted to that death work part of it, making sure that how it got to my plate has found some sort of peace and if at all possible, some justice in letting it know how it's going to be used by my family, how it's going to be respected
0: and sort of honoring how it got yeah honoring how it got there as well which it it, that feels like um something i had not really considered but also would would we have had would we have to consider it if you know we were still nomadic people who thoughtfully gathered food in whatever way we when we needed food and did it mindfully and i mean even when we were raising animals that we eventually ate it's like you had a relationship with that animal and you had an appreciation for it feeding your family for a length of time or feeding your community for a length of time and and now we consume things that regardless of whether we're talking you know vegetables grown in like miles long fields or um you know animals raised in you know enormous numbers um, there's there is such a removal to an understanding of how it got there, and that we haven't been a mindful part of the process from the initial creation of that entity that later becomes food.
2: Absolutely, and I think that that death walking process would have been part of hunting, right? I I mean, I, I don't think we would have necessarily had to do it at the point of food preparation because it would have been part of the ritual of how that food showed up in our lives to start, with, you know, in our periphery, let alone on our plate to start with.
0: Right. And I, I think it would eliminate, I mean, something that has, you know, we've talked about, you know, death work, um, in terms of addressing where there's a, there's some hiccup or some issue around the concept of living well, dying well, and, you know, not everything needs death walked. Right. So, right. Right. If if we, you know, if we've mindfully stepped into taking only what we need, you know, I could see that not even, you know, maybe honoring the life and kind of engaging in it through the hunting process or in the gathering process, when you're, you know, mm-hmm. farming or growing, and then harvesting, um, that there's a gratitude and an awareness in it, that um, it really makes me think about how much more intentionally, we have to approach approach animistic relationships now. Because I, I, I don't think it's even about like regaining that skill. I think we live lives where all of a sudden we need new skills around Mm -hmm. animistic relationship, because we don't have it from the get go. I didn't grow the radish on my plate. So now I have to, you know, acknowledge the relationship as it's just been entered into right as I'm about to consume it. And that's a whole, it's like we're creating new types of animistic relationship.
1: I think there's a different way that we can look at death walking too, um, that three of us might look at it differently. And we probably do look at it differently than our listeners. Um, as we are shamans. But I think with learning about death walking and how it applies to our food, a good place to start is being aware of where that radish on your plate came from, how it got there, how the chicken got there, what was the living conditions for that chicken that got there. And just opening up that door of awareness, I think makes a huge difference, a big step in the um, animistic practice that people can have. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: i think there's a big um there's a big opportunity for circling back to guilt and shame around that which we talked about in an earlier episode but a lot of people can't uh buy locally i mean it's expensive right right? Right. it's really expensive here and you know the knowing how it got to your plate isn't always knowable. I think you're absolutely right, Janet, that where you can do. And if you don't like where the source of your food is coming from, see what places you can improve that match your your ethical and your spiritual viewpoint. And the places you can change it. You and I can't. I mean I, I will not you know, short of winning a lottery ticket, I will not be able to source a lot of my food from where I really would like to, which is from, you know, local, fruit, fruit, organic places. But I have to, that's why the death work also. It's it's not just for me to honor that this plant was grown in a way that was um, humane, for lack of a better word, but also for me to say, I'm aware that you weren't.
1: And ah, here yes, is yes. how I feel.
2: And here is my perspective on how I'm going to honor you from here. And I I can hear how you got here and I can stand in that place with you. And I really should stand in that place with you because you're about to stand in my tummy. And I want that to be helpful. I want that to be nourishing for my family. So
0: right there there there's a lot going on and and we've talked and when we did talk about that whole shame thing you know there that was part of the conversation too that like we we can't all live in a commune where like everything is available and we also don't all have the physical capability to live off of everything that's available organically and there's there's some privilege in in there's some financial privilege wherever that the source of that financial privilege is in being able to access completely 100% organic or ethically mm-hmm. or what, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing is that resonates for you. Um, uh, being vegan comes with a, a great deal of privilege. Being, right. um, you know, being a meat eater, but eating only ethically sourced meat is you know, that's, that's hard financially. It's also depending on where you live, depending on what your resources are, depending on what amount of knowledge you carry around. There are people who might eat differently if they had different information or had easy access to better information and resources. So it's not, you know, quite as simple as knowing, but acknowledging that, yeah, you, some of, Mm -hmm. some of your plate may have gotten there by ways in which like you don't feel comfortable with and might wish had happened differently. But yeah, the death walking for me, it really feels like the, that acknowledgement of like, I get that you may have gotten here in a certain way. I am intensely grateful that you're here and that my family is going to continue being fed and live because of it. Um, I'm wondering for you, Kelly, how that fits into the existing, cause I'm, I'm thinking about it since you mentioned it, um, elsewhere the other day in terms of how, um, how does that all kind of lace together for you around blessing food versus, um, death work or psychopomp or whatever we're going to call it. Um, do they, do they sort of go hand in hand? Do you find that you do the death work instead of a blessing, um, is there a sort of marriage between the two um how do those how do those I feel like fit?
2: they go together mm-hmm.
0: yeah I feel
2: like they go together for me that is the blessing mm-hmm. the, yeah. the you know the ability to honor its path to how it got to you know my counter and and the work that we're going to do in both becoming um nutritious resources for the planet because that's that's why we eat you know so that we can stay alive that's why we consume Mm -hmm. period so that we can stay alive and do that which we were put here to do and so I feel like my ability to honor its purpose and my purpose in
0: that meeting they they are the blessing Mm -hmm. for me and I that's what I was thinking, too, is that because I'm also thinking, you know, people who are listening who are like uh, this, the whole death walking part, death work part of it, um, death death work doesn't have to be death walking shamanic work. I, I think what like what you're saying, Kelly, I think things being seen and witnessed and honored and holding space for the complicated nature of what you put in your body um, to me, that feels like it is death work, if not actual shamanic death walking. So for those who like, you know, this is that part of it's outside of the wheelhouse. I feel like just adding in that additional layer of, I'm aware, I see what I'm putting in my mouth shortly. um, And I'm just going to take a moment to pause and, and also maybe have a conversation. If you have kids, like have a conversation with them. Um, I had a conversation with with one of our listeners. um, yesterday who was talking about, um, I think a lot of the animistic stuff was new to her and she has a son that she's been talking. And I actually mentioned, we might talk about food. And she said, I've been trying to have more and more conversations with my son about, you know, that the burger on the plate came from a cow, like just making the connection for kids of like this substance you're putting in your body was once a thing that walked around and like starting that initial Understanding,
1: right? It wasn't a package that just came from the grocery store,
0: right? And there was some interesting we, insight too. And, started. Mm-hmm, go ahead. You go. <laughs> so <laughs> the the other thing that was interesting that came out of that conversation is how we sort of other the finished product so that it doesn't seem like it came from an animal, and I think that impacts the animistic relationship as well. Like, um, calling veal veal or talking about bacon. And, and we have all these different terms for different types of food that don't really, um, you know, there are probably people who eat bacon who don't know what animal it comes from. And there's this disconnection from like, even what the thing was before it's the thing it is now that I think also allows us to remain disconnected in a way that requires this additional pause and reflection. If you, if, you know, if you want to deepen that relationship animistically, now you go.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. I was going to say, we started that from the beginning with our kids. We We never, acknowledged any disjoint from what was on their plate and what was walking around in the world. And I, I wasn't sure about that. I mean, when we, when we were doing it, I thought, are we traumatizing them? And again, um, I'm mostly referring to animals when I say this, right. but it really, it applies to all food. It applies to plants, it applies to water. And that's also something that I've driven home with them from day one but our kids have not been horrified by that and they they've also not turned out to be you know I'll eat all the pigs you know they they have a really balanced perspective of you know thanks little fella and they're they're that way over an ice cream cone also and Mm -hmm. I'm I'm grateful for that and I'm I'm waiting for rebellion around that to be honest but um I, I think that kids understand more than we give them the credit of as far as making those deep personal connections to what they're eating. They understand it and they can handle it. And a few nature shows here and there, I think helps. It helps them make the association that the nature you see in your front yard is not the nature that is all the rest of the world. There's a big world out there to be connected with and, it is what's in the grocery store.
1: Yeah,
2: I love that,
0: Janet. Do you have any sort of um, sort of pre-food consumption ritual or blessing or anything that you do now, or are you
1: thinking about it in a different way? I am definitely thinking about it in a different way. Um, both of you know that I've been working on changing my eating habits starting this summer, which is going, you know, fairly well. Um, and part of that is just the consciousness of what is going in, where it's coming from. And um, I'm also extending that. I, I do it fairly naturally um, with the, the the meat, with the animals. I'm extending that to the plants now. And um, I've, I'm growing some herbs. One of the things that I noticed the other day when I was picking some of the herbs to put in a salad was that they were feeling, in my hand, quite joyful about going into the salad. There's a part of me that expects the the, the plants to be, oh, no, uh-uh, I don't want to be eaten. But these herbs were going, yeah, we're going to really liven up the salad. We're going to make it taste better, and we're good for you. And so there's more of that one-to-one connection that I'm feeling um, with with the food that I'm bringing into the house.
0: Yeah, and I think that. Interesting- Go ahead,
2: Kelly. Um, back in the '80s, and I, I cannot remember this woman's name to save my life. She was not this; she wasn't like Miss Cleo or anything. But she, she was a, a decently known psychic, would have been the word of the day. And she actually toured slaughterhouses, defunct slaughterhouses, to kind of do release work around what she assumed and projected would be deep deep dire trauma about these animals being used as food and what she found was actually the exact opposite and it flew in the face of foodies of the day because everybody was expecting you know this big push toward well you should be vegetarian because they're all traumatized and that's terrible and what she found was not just they understand they're going to be food as in I know I'm a cow and I know humans eat me and I'm okay with that that's my life purpose everything knows it's food your food right now as you're listening to the podcast you yes. are food to bacteria as you go to, to sleep at night you're food to even more bacteria and creatures so I mean it it was more like tapping into this universal understanding that yes, we spend a good part of our lives consuming because we're going to be food eventually. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, what you're saying Janet about the plants understand that, I mean, don't we all on some level and isn't that what we're really trying to make peace with?
0: And I think where people avoid making that piece is making it about one aspect of consumption even if it's not food consumption I mean down to like you know you have you have to do this type of you know recycling this type of you know it's when we make it about only one aspect of that um, you know from my personal perspective that is a huge part of being vegan for what are often described as like ethical reasons of we shouldn't be traumatizing and murder, like quote, murdering animals and that kind of thing. Like, I love what you just said. Like we are all food. Even our pets are food. The fact that we don't eat them (laughs) doesn't mean that something else doesn't eat them or that they don't eventually become food after they've passed away. Like we're being eaten by all, like all the parasites that live on us, those little things that live in your eyelashes. Like there's just... (laughs) And we're eventually you know food for the ground or food for whatever it's just um there's so many ways in which we try to um other specific aspects of that and to, even ourselves, like that we're like why do we embalm ourselves like there, you know it's right. Like, right it's it's harder for us to be consumed, we're not worm food, and it's it's just um, I feel like when we can embrace that everything becomes consumable and is consumed at some point there's a much more nuanced conversation to be had there and um, for me like hearing you talk about death work recently Kelly around eating food that felt like this um, first step in bringing that to my dinner table
2: do you think
0: that we can
2: bring that same kind of awareness to water and air? I think mm-hmm. that more people are ready to have that conversation given what happened with water last year with the pipeline. Yeah. But I, I wonder when we can broaden that conversation to under, you know, to to move past the whole. Um, should you be vegetarian aspect and the projections that come with that sometimes to what about water and air
0: yeah yeah exactly where do you where do you think that conversation starts in terms of water and air
2: ultimately we still consume them And if we treat them badly before we consume them, they show that badness shows up in our own health. It shows up in our own bodies,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: maybe even more immediately than food.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, water is just water. Ultimately, what ends up, you know, making us sick is the things that we, make water carry Mm -hmm. like when i think of water as an entity from an animistic perspective i think of what we shove into its lap in a way that it's carrying around these things it doesn't want to carry that it knows are gonna um you know i think water knows like i think that's why it keeps moving it doesn't want to carry those things that we sometimes put in it um and sometimes it naturally eliminates things but what we put in it sometimes or what we allow others to put in it is harder to get rid of So I think there's something there in terms of I don't know. I I don't know where I'm going with that thought.
1: (laughs) I love looking at the different um, faces of water because there's water and then there's rain and then there's steam and then there's ice and there's sleet and each one of those is to me such a different entity and and such a person. You can have such a personal relationship with them.
0: And I think there's there are ways to look at climate change when to it, there are nuances to the conversation around climate change too when you look at water as valuable in all of those forms in terms of um you know are we creating a world where like one of those is greatly out of balance you know if we don't have enough ice we're kind of fucked if we you know if we have too much rain if we don't have enough rain if you know that that um that we impact these life sources and that we have a relationship with all those life sources that um, when we think about those relationships as being imbalanced or out of balance, when we're talking about climate change, it brings this sort of more spiritual soulful level to that conversation that I feel like could temper it when everyone's shouting, maybe, I don't know.
2: I think so. And and I mean, where you were going a, a minute ago, I think, you know, advocacy is part, you know, what, where does advocacy become part of your spiritual mm-hmm. path? Because a lot of people think, they think advocacy equals politics, politics isn't spiritual, blah, blah, blah. And the, the reality is, you know, legislation is where those protect, protections right. happen. They should happen anyway, but we saw last year that that wasn't the case. So, I mean, there's a point where how we spend our money, how we show up in our immediate communities and our bigger communities has a lot to do with how the elements are treated and how the elements are treated directly impacts our health and there's a point where our health is the health of all of our region we have to make yes. that connection and and we're, we're right so right slow. right and that
0: that concept of water is life is like i mean it's the heart of it and i was just thinking when you were talking kelly about you know the advocacy around you know the pipeline stuff and um just uh all all of the issues in which people are not having access to clean water like it goes beyond looking at where like whose water is it and and the cultural implications and if you think about it the advocacy to be done there is to advocate for water to exist as it is meant to exist and in its purest form without mm-hmm. being abused and that's not about um You know, I think there, there've been a lot of um, sort of racist conversations about, you know, native cultures in, in this country, at least around the pipeline stuff. And um, they're not more entitled to the water. There's all these, there are all these racist narratives, but like, those are just the people doing the hardest, most out in the open. They're working the hardest to advocate for water, not themselves. That's like the whole thing about, you know, the water is life. It's like the The issue is the water itself. Like we have to advocate for those things that are supposed to exist in a certain way because everything fails without
1: it. Because we have the voice that other humans can understand where water doesn't have the voice. And so it's important for us to speak up to them. I was going to say, it's Mm -hmm. like everything goes hand in hand. It's not an either or it's let's do this together. Let's do this in community.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good conversation. Yeah. We went a little over today because I feel like we like we could talk about this all day. Um, any other major takeaways before we wrap this particular conversation up?
2: I think other than bringing awareness, it starts on your plate and and go from there. Track back from there and start seeing how that awareness changes your perspective across other areas of life. You might not think they're related and yet how you think about consumerism and and what you're giving back to what you consume, it is Mm -hmm. all
0: connected. I like it. Yeah. I would also, if, if anybody's listening and if you guys are so moved to uh, contribute, I would love to hear what some of the listeners might use in terms of blessings or, Um, kind of holding space around meals if you want to share those with us we would love to hear them and um, if you have any questions about this or any prior episodes love to hear those too it's been really fun to talk to some of you who are listening and kind of hear your feedback and there's a lot of feedback that there's you know not um, a specifically you know specifically animist community and Um, I feel like when we get to hear back from all of you listening, we get to kind of create that in in this small space. So I would love to hear what some of the listeners think too.
1: Which to me, it's a very warm and welcoming space. Yeah. And very open.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening and thanks you too for chatting about food. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh And uh, we will see you all next week. Take good care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you'd like more information on Kelly, Brandis, or Janet, or to listen to past episodes of our podcast, get some more information on our resource page, you can find all of those tidbits at everydayanimism.tumblr.com. See you next week.